Welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect, a podcast about practice. I'm Jeremy, and in this episode, I spoke with John Yuen. John and I first came across each other about five years ago, which is crazy to think about. I was teaching a skill unit for an online group he was running, and we connected right away on how we thought about movement and skill, but even more so, I think it was that we thought about people first. Movement was a way of connecting with people and their different experiences for us. We've gone on to lead courses together, such as the Movement Guild, bounce ideas around, and challenge each other to do meaningful work. John, thank you for this and many other memorable conversations. For many of you, John may need no introduction, but he does deserve it. So here are a few words of his from his website. Hi, I'm John Yuen. I currently live in Norway and have a surname that's difficult to pronounce. This is due to the fact that my father is from China, the same country where I lived when I studied martial arts. If anyone were to ask me which style of martial arts I specialized in, I would have a hard time providing an answer, seeing as I've practiced too many of them. This is a result of my main philosophy, which is that everything's interesting if you're interested enough. The same applies for the years when I worked as a professional dancer. I was incapable of settling on one style. Rather, I wanted to delve as deep as I could into each and every genre and culture in an effort to understand what worked, how it worked, and how it could be applied in other practices. So John, welcome to Nothing Makes Perfect. How nervous are you right now? On, uh, are we talking about like, would you like me to describe with words? Or are we talking on a scale from one to 10? How would you like me to quantify or qualify my uh, anxiety? I think a noise that can't be categorized into a certain language would be best. Okay. Mm, how about this? Ah. Ah, nice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> In other words, I'm pretty good, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you as always. I hope that people who know both of us will kind of be surprised that we haven't done this sooner. Like I've been thinking about, you know, recording a conversation of ours since before this podcast existed, but mm -hmm. I wanted to wait until I had something like specific that we could dig into because we've had so many conversations about movement and practice and training that I was like, let's, let's go in a certain direction and see where it takes us. Yeah, a bit of a professional distancing is. <laughs> <laughs> I've missed you though. I missed having conversations with you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to cut you off entirely and not accept any of your messages. Um, my lawyer just suggested, like, if you want to have a good podcast, you got to push your friends away. Oh, for sure. I understand that. But, you know, distance make the heart grow fonder and more desperate. So here I am. <laughs> Fond and desperate. <laughs> a, pod a podcast about practice. <laughs> um, so I do have this, you know, big topic that I think will be really interesting and helpful for a lot of people. Hmm. But before we go there, I'd love to throw a lightning round at you just to let people get to know you if you know, let's say they're my mom who listens to this podcast religiously, but might not know you so well. Cool. Yeah, um, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Favorite type of music for lifting heavy weights? Uh, that would probably be um, like 90s melodic metal. Mm, okay. 
totally different direction. You're thrown onto a stage right now, immediately. Like you just, someone scoops you up and throws you on a stage to improvise a performance. What would you do? Probably dance. What would it look like? Uh, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, horrible dance. Good. <laughs> Your least favorite type of rock climbing hold or grip? Slopers. I, um, I, I inherited my dad's hands, which means they're not as big as they, I would like them to be for slopers. Uh, crimpy hands. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a crimp boy. Nice. Um, one person you think I should interview on this podcast. Ooh. Um, some, a person that I, there's one, there is a Swedish guy. He's not a trainer. I don't really know who he does it for a living. He's just one of those people that I've followed because it's so inspiring to me to see someone just document their training for such a long period of time. Hmm. Um, he's just a guy who's found out how to make his training sustainable. And, and he has a life <laughs> beyond training. Uh, and he moves a lot. Uh, it seems like he trains in an effort to support his ability to move in his daily life. And that to me is incredibly inspiring. Nice. Life outside of training. That sounds like an interesting concept I've yet to explore <laughs> in my first 30 plus years. Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be the last book of Game of Thrones. It's pure fantasy. <laughs> um, what's his name? Uh, I think his name is Fredrik Jonasson or something. Um, I've like sent him a couple of DMs, just go like, hey, you're cool. But we haven't, we haven't really, I don't know the guy. Mm -hmm. Cool. Just well, like the first person who popped up in, in my head. I love it. Maybe uh, episode 3400, you will be uh, content. <laughs> You'll be satisfied. <laughs> All right. Last question of this very formal lightning round. Mm -hmm. What would your TED talk be about? Um, being being interested <laughs> you would like, give a ted talk about being interested okay tell me yeah more. like if if there's if i have one if there's anything that i'm good at it's being interested in a lot of different things and i'm interested in a way i, I try to be interested in a, in a way right don't allow the culture of whatever i'm interested in get a hold of me I don't want to belong to a culture. I want to create one of my own, uh, meaning my own life. So I, I don't know. It's 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 not a, something that I think a lot about, but it's something that is just a natural part of my life. And I feel like I could talk about in a way that would provide value, I think. That's super interesting because the immediate question that runs through my mind is like, who are you to talk about being interested? Like what qualifies you? And that's mm. kind of your point is like anyone can be interested on their own. Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, I, um, it's the only thing I see as like my own personal superpower. And I think that everyone has it. Very cool. So what is something training related and then maybe something not training related that you're actively interested in right now? The thing that I'm interested in right now training wise is how we can train less in order to move more. So how can we 
how can we kind of remove as much of the superfluous stuff uh, that we find in our mindset around training, in our programming? How can we remove that in order to make us have a type of practice that provides momentum in order for us to do the other things that we want to do? Um, that would be the training-related stuff. Non-training-related stuff? Uh, I'm currently very interested in learning the history of the Scottish Deerhound. <laughs> yep. Why is I'm, that personally relevant right now? <laughs> because, because I I am fulfilling a lifelong dream very soon uh, with with my girlfriend, uh, which is to acquire a new best friend. Uh, and we've we've landed on Scottish Deerhound. It's an amazing dog, and I, 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 I look forward to not sleeping <laughs> <laughs> for quite a long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, congrats to your uh, entire growing family. I feel like uh, a non-human animal couldn't find a better best friend than you as someone, a human who appreciates non-humans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I look forward to it a lot, probably too much. <laughs> awesome. I do want to pick up on the training thread, though, because that is basically the perfect segue into where I was hoping to take you. Sure thing. So I'm going to I'm gonna do like the biggest no-no in interviewing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to present a short and clear question, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Short and clear question. How do we balance structure and freedom in training? The reason I want to ask you this is because I think when people see you do a variety of types of movement, often incredibly impressive, it almost feels like a natural question that comes up. Because mm. I've seen you in a gym doing staggered stance, incredibly heavy deadlifts, and really heavy weighted pull-ups for multiple reps. But then I've also seen you dancing and improvising and flowing, you might call it. So it kind of begs the question, like, how do we use structure enough, but not too much and allow for flexibility in that structure to do all the things that we want to be able to do? First of all, whatever you structure cannot be so fatiguing or so all-encompassing that you have little to no energy to pursue other interests or... Uh, to improvise, to be creative, to explore. So um, in order for us to not fall prey to such a program, we need to distance ourselves from the idea of optimization. Because once you begin that, uh, you begin following that train of thought, it never ends. You're just going to end up piling more and more stuff uh, onto your training program, more exercises, more exercise modalities, more exercise philosophies, more exercise methods, and you are left with little else than just more fear of missing out. So step number one, I think, is don't optimize. Make it efficient, whatever you're doing, but don't, don't optimize. The second step, I would say, is to plan for novelty. So a uh, basic training uh, or an essential part of my training structure is that I always include one or two like sets 
or a bit of space in my training journal for something that I either place in I either place in like a category like I want to work on some sort of horizontal pushing or I want to work on hip abduction. I don't say which exercise it is, I just say the category of the movement and then I allow myself to work on that. But sometimes it can be something as I want to feel more noodly. I want to uh, feel more relaxed. I want to explore tension. I want to explore the pump. The thing is, like, you have to, even even the lack of a structure is a structure or a system because you're going to be influenced by your, your subconsciousness, right? Your impulses. And they are, in some sort of way, structured. So in order for you not to kind of in order for you not to kind of go on repeat, you, you need to put in, in these small little nuggets into your structure that allows you to play around with, uh, with these categories, I feel. Okay, so going back to not optimizing first, mm-hmm. I have a visual that comes to mind. Let me know if it kind of represents what you're talking about. Hmm. When you were describing it, I'm imagining you have this messy shape of clay and you're trying to make it into a perfect sphere. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you'll start noticing little lumps and you try to round them out. Yeah. But you're on an endless path of finding more and more lumps and you're never going to stop finding lumps. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate image. Uh, I would add on that to this lump of clay, you're constantly adding more clay mm-hmm. in the process mm-hmm. of shaping it. Like that's that's how it is with the uh, the abundance of information that we're exposed to now. Like everyone has their own idea of what is perfect, what is optimal, and and we either on a subconscious or a conscious level, we we take that information and we try to figure out how we can implement it into our own training. And uh, this makes it so that we just add on more clay to the to the shape that we're already trying to make into this perfect circle. Okay, cool. So the the people taking this information in, I'm imagining we can kind of generally describe in a couple of camps. Some mm-hmm. people tend more towards structure and mm-hmm. some people tend more towards freedom or flexibility, lack of structure in some way. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the first tool or piece of advice you gave for not becoming too structured. So if someone has a tendency towards feeling like everything needs to be planned and every second of every workout, you need to know exactly what's going to happen, then maybe they can picture the clay. Mm, mm. What about someone who's coming from the other end of the spectrum and they tend to be like, I want to move today, so I'm going to stand up and move. And maybe they could benefit from a little more structure. Hmm. Yeah, then then I would, you know, recommend that you give yourself some sort of prompt or some sort of cue that challenges you to move in ways that you have not or to refine uh, the way that you're currently moving. And and that cue or that prompt, it could be something as simple as uh, today we're going to work on more rotation. Today we're going to work on speed. Today we're going to work on comfort. Uh, that cue or prompt is structure. Mm-hmm. It's just a different kind of structure. And that's the kind of cool thing about structure is that we get to decide what it is. 
Yeah. Not everyone's quote program has to look remotely the same, like not the same type of language or uh, the same layout. It doesn't have to be digital or on paper or written in any way. No, definitely. It can be whatever we want it to be. And it's important to keep in mind, I think, that the idea we have or the image we get from of structure as it relates to training is something that's been handed down to us uh, and at times imposed upon us by a fitness industry that trains in a very, very particular way that doesn't necessarily benefit everyone. And of course, we get structure from the, the, uh, the productivity geeks. And <laughs> structure doesn't have to be all about productivity either. It can also be about what's personal and what's relevant, not just what's productive. Okay, so I think we're solidly in the territory of really nice sounding statements. Like, these are great sound bites, but I think some specificity will help here. So would you mind kind of, can I ask about peeking into your training journal a bit and what this actually looks like? For sure, for sure. So maybe we start with a workout, whatever mm-hmm. you consider like a specific set of time when you're doing training, maybe tomorrow or your next training session. Can you describe what it looks like, how it's structured? Mm-hmm. So my, I recently just tra- changed my training program. Uh, I'm now experimenting with some very low volume training in order to increase intensity. Uh, of what I'm doing, so I'm I'm using a lot of different exercise methods uh, like cluster sets, rest pause sets, um, like stretching immediately after doing a set, uh, in order to get as much out of each set as possible. Um, and the reason I'm doing it is because I'm trying to see how my body reacts to it. That's number one, and it's in order to save a bit of time. Uh, because I don't feel like spending that much time in the gym right now. So uh, now I do a total of eight sets or eight to nine, uh, eight to ten sets, sorry, per body part, uh, which are distributed across three workouts per week. Uh, another reason I'm also doing this is because on the other three days, I'm climbing mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to increase my, uh, yeah improve a bit more being a bit more dedicated climbing wise so i train on uh, when i train climbing that's when i do grip training that's when i do pulling and on the other days that's when i do lower body and push work so i alternate between um on the workout days i alternate between doing a lower body exercise and then an upper body pushing exercise and again i only I only do a total of eight to 10 sets per body part. So usually it's going to be two sets of an exercise. And in those two sets, I, my goal is to be thoroughly thrashed at the end of this. <laughs> it was funny because when we, you first asked me about this, uh, come, doing this podcast with you, I was mid, uh, mid Bulgarian split squat. <laughs> and then you got to experience the extent to which I am mentally drained after just one of those sets (laughs) that was amazing yeah we immediately had time zone confusion because you were like i just did a set i don't know what's happening right now (laughs) (laughs) okay so i want to maybe translate in case that kind of lost anyone um correct me if i'm wrong in summarizing your process here 
So you have these two priorities. One is strength training. One is climbing. Mm -hmm. You break strength training into uh, four primary categories by breaking basically your body parts, your muscle groups into four areas. Mm -hmm. So you have like front side of your upper body, back side of your upper body, and then same thing for your lower body. Correct. Climbing basically is covering one of those four. It's lots of upper body pulling. Mm -hmm. So for the other three, you've determined how much work you want to do in a given week, which Mm -hmm. you're calling eight to 10 sets. And then for you, that's a relatively low number, right? You used to be doing more. Yes. Yes. And so you're trying to make those sets really intense to Mm -hmm. see how that relates to what you were doing previously. Is that all fair? Correct. Correct. Um, I'm also working with, uh, just to clarify a bit more, I'm, I'm actually working with a lower intensity, but a higher effort, mm. right? So uh, I'm not necessarily moving tremendously heavy weights around, but I am training in such a way where I have, I put in a lot of effort. I do, an, I, I do a lot of reps and I try to uh, make sure that they are, they are high quality reps. And I do this because uh, whenever I in- increase my climbing, I notice that I'm more prone to getting certain types of um, irritations in my body. So I'm then trying to decrease the intensity because that seems to help me when it comes to these, uh, not injuries, but uh, discomforts. And, uh, and to add on one last thing, I do have one day where I do everything else <laughs> so everything else day um it's it's a tongue-in-cheek day because you can't do everything else but this is the day where i would for example i would work on my cardio or i would work on uh, movements of different joints that i don't target in those other workouts like uh, for example an external rotation of the hip or an internal rotation of the shoulder or uh, you know, elbow flexion w- with more pronation or with more supination. Like, it's just where I try to, try to target what I don't target in those other structured days. Mm-hmm. So you have your two main priorities and you kind of figure out a structure that allows you to get the the most useful work done on those priorities. And then you have everything else day, which would literally take more than 24 hours to do everything else. But... Mm-hmm. You do some other stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so that already is a nice glimpse into how you kind of balance the two. Enough structure, but not so much structure that you lose everything else. Hmm. Um, That's going to sound extremely structured to a lot of people, right? I mentioned like the dance and improv side of things. Mm -hmm. So first, before we go to everything else, climbing, you know, I'm immediately familiar with everything you're saying about strength training. Maybe someone listening is or isn't. But when you climb, how much structure do you have going into the session versus like, I'm just going to go hop on some climbs that look fun and see how it goes? Mm. Uh, I have three different days with three different approaches. Uh, So on one day, I do heavy things. This is my heavy day. So... I would uh, usually then do some sort of uh, board climbing. So there are these different boards that um, with lots of different holes that light up. And uh, yeah, you basically climb different different routes there. Um, and uh, 
on the heavy day, I then try to work up to the heaviest grade that I can. And then I have another day where I just try to climb a lot, where the goal is to just get in a lot of moves. So I get to expose to new movements so that I kind of get to work a bit on my muscular endurance. Um, and then on the third day, I do everything else. So on everything else day, that's usually when I hang out with my friends. Uh, and I kind of just follow them, you know, like I, I do, I do whatever we come up with on that day. Um, and again, everything else is a tongue in cheek day. You can't do everything else, but it's like, it's, it's easier for me to say everything else than to say nothing at all. Mm. Yeah. I love that. It's a beautiful statement about the solitude of training that, that in this case, everything else is hanging out with friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's one of the best things about working as a working uh, online and on your own is that you don't have to work when everyone else does. Uh, but that also means that you have often have spare time when nobody else does. Yeah. Okay. So we got strength training. We've got climbing. Now I want to go into the everything else a little bit. Hmm. Um, you mentioned cardio. You mentioned specific, you know, angles of specific joints. But talk to me about um, dance, improv, what looks like dance, even if it doesn't, even if you wouldn't label it as dance. Do you plan that into workouts like this? Do you plan it into a different time or do you not plan it? I don't plan it, um, which is probably why I've done very little of it lately. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. Yeah. Um, no, lately I haven't been that uh, attracted to it. It hasn't. It hasn't really interested me as much. So usually when I do it, it's like that's when uh, that's in the mornings when I put on put on a song and drink my coffee and wiggle about in my boxer shorts. Like that's that's basically it at this point. Um, when I've worked more intensely, dance wise then it's been then i've given myself certain prompts right so certain cues like the ones that we mentioned bit uh that we mentioned previously uh or i've worked with other people um other people are you know are are prompts and cues in themselves of mm -hmm. course there are other people too but they they provide you with input that allows you or encourages you to move and do things that you normally wouldn't um but yeah, right now there's not a whole lot of dancing. To be perfectly honest, it's if it happens, it's during the mornings when I drink my coffee and and uh, hang out with my cats. Cool, that's fair. Yeah, I think uh, we can like it, we can now understand that if I see you doing some impressive looking dance thing, it probably isn't from your current training structure as much as a lifetime of dancing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so you're going to sound, again, very structured. You might even sound like you're optimizing a lot of things to a lot of people. Like, mm -hmm. wow, eight to ten sets a week of these three different things in addition to three structured days of climbing, etc. Yep. But your first piece of advice was don't optimize. Yeah. So can you kind of reconcile those two things for me? Like, how would you describe what you're doing in your weekly plan if not optimizing? I do what feels realistic for me to do 
and what engages me. That That's f- the primary reason I have this structure. It's not because it's going to be perfect. It's because it's going to be doable. And I have a pretty good idea, uh, or I have a pretty good feeling that this is going to elicit a positive trend. So I, I could go into like the the weeds of of exactly how much I should climb, exactly what sort of accessory training I should do with my climbing, and exactly how many sets I should do of each exercise, and what sort of exercises and all of that. But I just try to do whatever engages me, and that is a combination of my preferences and my hopes. So I right now I don't want to do a whole lot of strength training. And I want to see some sort of progression from what I'm doing. And that has led to this. If you want to call that optimization, I'm sure you could. But for me, optimization is more about the idea that you're going to do everything in order to progress as much and as fast as humanly possible. Fair. So maybe the question that we uh, skipped past is why these activities? What's your motivation for doing the strength training that you don't want to be doing as much of or spending as much time on? And what's mm-hmm. your motivation for climbing? I like it. <laughs> for both? It. Yeah, for both. I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I, I like it. And I, uh, like, I, I like climbing more right now because it's, uh, I have to be more mindful. There's a lot more mental work involved. Uh, there's a lot more variety. It's a lot more social. And you kind of get to solve problems together. Um, but strength training is also something that I like because of, number one, how it makes me feel. Uh, I do enjoy the process of it. I do like pushing myself. But I also like the benefits I get from the work. You know, like training strength is in my opinion it, it, it does give you a tremendous bang for your buck like you don't only get stronger or get bigger muscles you also improve you know the, the resilience of your body you get to improve the the composition of your body or change the composition of your body and you do get to work on flexibility you do get to work a bit on your cardio as well so you know it's a lot of benefits in my opinion yeah, what you're describing as not taking very long, at least from your perspective, does have a huge list of benefits considering, again, at least for you, doesn't necessarily take that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to pick up on this idea of problem solving. Mm. If anyone has ever climbed anything, they're pretty familiar with the concept of like physical problem solving. But I think it's a less common approach in strength training, flexibility training, cardio, So a term that I associate with you that you may or may not have coined, feel free to pass on credit, but (laughs) task-based training. Yeah. And I see a lot of parallels in some other, you know, skill-based theories that I've talked about on previous episodes and we'll keep exploring. But Mm. can you tell me kind of where that came from or how you started exploring that concept? Climbing. Yep. (laughs) That was my guess. It, um... I thought a lot about climbing and I thought a lot about education uh, when, when I started working on, on at least my iteration of task-oriented training. Um, Education-wise, it, it seemed pretty clear to me that 
the the students who benefit the most from their lessons are the ones who aren't only offered answers, but they're provided questions and the chance to answer those questions. I mean, if you had the option between, if you had to send, I don't know, Iggy, your dog, to two different schools, one would be a school where they only provided Iggy with the correct answers, and he, his only job would be to remember those answers. And if he could memorize them while uh, you know doing some sort of test, he would he would excel. Or you could send Iggy to a school where he would not get the all of the answers, but he would be offered questions and the opportunity to solve those questions or puzzles. It's at least in my mind. This mm-hmm. might be my my positive psychology mind uh, playing out here. But in my mind, the latter option is more preferable if we're talking about a life outside of school. And uh, the the climbing wall is basically just a series of questions. There's an in- indication of an answer in there somewhere, but it's up to you to kind of modify that answer in such a way that allows you to answer that question or to solve that puzzle. So I took those concepts and I just tried to recontextualize things that we already do in the gym. So a squat, it can be a technique in which we basically try to replicate or duplicate an answer. And the answer could be stand with your feet shoulder width apart, rotate them slightly outwards. Now flex your knee, flex your hip, dorsiflexion of the ankle as far down as possible, straight spine, then reverse the motion. That would be squat as a task Uh, sorry as an exercise yeah kind of an answer yeah a squat as a task however is more of a question and the question could be in how many ways while standing on two feet can you get your hips as close to the ground as possible and then come back up the task is going to provide you with more possibilities more variations and the cool thing about that is that different people need different variations. So you kind of get to explore what your um, what your areas of improvement are, and also you get to explore the areas in which you already are um, excel. Yeah, my, it, you know, if you're biased in presenting this, then my bias lines up with yours like 100%. <laughs> the way I think about it is an answer is one answer, and a question can lead you down many paths. Yeah. Um, which like, yeah, sometimes you want or need an answer to something and hopefully a question can still provide that. But an answer, it's like a, a question can sometimes lead to one very specific answer that is very helpful, but an answer can never lead to the breadth of uh, of answers that a question can. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of stole a course that I've been considering making for a couple of years, um, a constraints-led approach to typical gym movements, let's say, strength movements. Mm-hmm. Um, you use the squat as an example. I'd love to hear you talk about a different example, maybe a push-up. So a typical yeah. push-up, you'd say, put your hands in a certain position, put your shoulders over them in a certain way, lower down with your elbows going in a certain direction, and then push back up and make sure that your body looks like a certain shape. What would mm-hmm. be a more task-oriented way of giving that? So a task-oriented way of d- giving that would be to say, place yourself in a quadruped position, so like hands and feet on the floor. Um, and then we could 
we could say that we have one target and one body part. So let's say the, the target is somewhere on the floor and the body part could be your shoulder. So from that position, can you place your shoulder on this target? Can you place your other shoulder on the same target? What if we change the target? What if it's your nose? Yeah, usually chest, shoulder, and nose are going to kind of encourage us to bend the elbows and to bend the, bend the shoulders. So that could be a way of doing it. Nice. So I feel like <laughs> there's a couple, a couple of impressions we could leave people with that I think would be a little irresponsible here. <laughs> so one, just to clarify, am I right that you at least sometimes do what would look boring and traditional in your strength sets? You do a set of pull-ups where you do exactly the same movement or what looks like the same movement over and over again with a weight attached to you and it just looks very traditional you're not always playing and puzzling and exploring these tasks is that right yes 100 <laughs> okay and then the second one am i also right that you can do the task oriented training at a very high intensity it doesn't just have to be playful and interesting it could also get a strength stimulus yes 100 percent so could you give a favorite example of that? Like, how do I do this interesting sounding set in order to get stronger? So, uh, for example, uh, a deadlift can be a task. You can say, say, what is the heaviest weight that you can pick up from the floor? That is a, that is a task. Mm -hmm. uh, you could also uh, choose movements that are naturally more demanding then let's say a two-legged squat you could do the same thing with one leg stand on one foot and only support yourself with that one foot in how many ways can you get your hips as close to the ground as possible as an example mm -hmm. um, we can increase the intensity by adding load so external load we can increase the intensity by working with tempo doing it slower and faster we can increase the intensity by increasing range of motion we can increase the intensity by in actively increasing effort. So like, I want you to do it faster, or I, I want you to, to squeeze out more reps, for example. And we could do it in a high gravity situation, which I'm sure that you're familiar with if you have bad climbing day. <laughs> yes. Blame gravity. I have experienced gravity being weirdly turned up. I don't know, like, does the gym manage it? Or is it some supreme being? I don't did I do something wrong? <laughs> We're still still trying to find that out. Jury's okay. still out. All right. Um, okay. I have, I think, one more question that relates to your training. Mm -hmm. And here I will lean on a listener question, actually. Sure. So our mutual friend, former member of the Movement Guild, Markel, asked about some of the things we've been talking about. Mm. So I'm going to kind of present his question or prompt, and then hopefully steer you towards a certain part of it. Hmm. So Markel mentioned when I kind of threw out to Instagram, what would you want to ask John? He said, tips on how to understand body movement as a whole in order to program training and set goals. So I think we've already touched a fair amount on how you are currently thinking about your movement and your training, your practice and how you're kind of organizing it. But setting goals is something we haven't mentioned, I don't think. So can you talk about how you relate to 
goals in strength or climbing or everything else? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, um, I don't set a whole lot of goals for myself. Uh, not specific goals. I instead try to uh, define what I perceive to be a positive trend. And then I try to make that positive trend happen. <laughs> That's how I do it for myself. Like I can't, I can't give my goals to anyone else, right? Um, and that's pretty much it because it's far more interesting to me for me to see what happens than to try to make something uh, definitive happen. Because it's not as though that definitive thing won't happen, but your the lens at which. Uh, through which you look at your training can then become very, uh, the field of you can become very narrow and you stop noticing uh, all the other things than the thing that you hope will happen that's happening. So I think we're back on structure and freedom in a sense. Yeah. So immediately I picture the person coming at you. It's like you just recorded this on a podcast and said mm -hmm. that the S in smart goals, which I believe is specific, you're like, mm. no, I don't do that. So mm. they come at you with research papers. They're like, look, there's this structure. It's been shown to work where I'm interpreting your response as basically allowing for more flexibility. Yeah, yeah, allowing for more flexibility. I mean, it's, it's, it's not as though there, there's no specificity. There's specificity in identifying what positive trend that you'd like to see. So, for example, in climbing, the positive trend for me would be, as an example, climbing something that is a grade higher, or it could be climbing the same grade with more ease, or it could be to climb the same grade or the same route slower, as an example. Um, that is specific. I'm just opening up for more specific venues instead of saying, I need to make this specific thing uh, and only this specific thing happen, right? Because a lot of people will go, well, I, 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 need to, I need to get my middle splits. And they can then feel as if, because a middle split is very hard, and most of the specific goals that people set are very, very hard, and it takes a long time to get there, they then get discouraged. They go, I haven't been able to do a middle split yet. I haven't been able to be, do a middle split yet. But if you kind of zoom out, you would get to see that you have been able to achieve quite a lot of other things that are perhaps byproducts of the training that you've undertaken. So long-term training, which is what yields the best results, I think is dependent on the ability to witness an increase of competence and to measure your success or to identify your success. And by, by saying, I'm going to see a positive trend, instead of saying, I'm going to see a one-arm chin-up or a one-arm handstand or a middle split, basically motivates me a lot more. So another word that might be useful, I think, is binary. It sounds like you stay away from binary goals where you either achieve a middle split or you don't. And instead you spectrumify, which is now a word, um, <laughs> and you recognize a lot of points along a continuum, which is something I often recommend for body weight training, because people who have experience lifting weights, you can add a pound or kilogram, subtract a pound. Mm -hmm. But when you want to go do a pull-up for the first time, you're going from zero to one. 
yeah. and it looks like I can't do a pull-up, when in reality, you can pull a certain amount. And when you can do a bodyweight pull-up for your first time, you can still pull a certain amount, and maybe it's a little bit more, but yeah. it's just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's again, like what we talked about um, in regards to how we've inherited certain systems from a very specific and very young culture, the fitness culture. Mm-hmm. We've inherited goal setting from a culture whose main mode of improvement is measurable and quantifiable. Mm-hmm. But not everything movement-related can be measured or quantified in the same way. So then it helps to, you know, take a step back and understand that you all of us are influenced massively by this culture. And we need to kind of pick and choose whatever is helpful and, and discard what is demotivating us, destroying us, depressing us, and so forth. Nicely put. I think you have made clear why I wanted to interview you about structure and flexibility. Um, <laughs> I consider, like, I think you mentioned your only superpower at the beginning, and I think you probably have more than you give yourself credit for. But I think one of them is staying zoomed out enough in your perspective to pick productive combinations of structure and flexibility. And it seems at least like you rarely get lost in your own practice like way too far into structure or way too far away from it well uh that that's very difficult for me to say <laughs> but i apologize it, for complimenting you <laughs> thank you <laughs> thank you and thank you for, <laughs> for your apology and for your compliment um i mean i do need to challenge my assumptions that's why structure is important it is the easiest way for me to challenge my assumptions. So let's say that my assumption is, oh, I need to train this much. Well, a way I can challenge that assumption is by giving myself a new structure, you know. Or, oh, I, I, I don't, I don't think the fitness industry is very healthy. Well, maybe if I can employ a new system or a new structure, then I can investigate that claim, you know. Hmm. So this kind of reminds me of your. Uh, your image, your description of how we're all both lab rats and scientists. I forget exactly how you say it. Can you do that better? Lab rats and lab coats. Mm, Lab rats and lab coats. Yeah, so you're recognizing your assumption, which is something that you usually do in a lab coat, and then you're kind of creating a hypothesis, but then you get to go and test it out and and try a structure on. Yeah, and to me, like it's it's the most... If if you know that time is usually on your side, <laughs> then it's for me. It's like one of the most interesting uh, things about being alive is to you know having this opportunity um, to, to to explore these ideas and, and to not take anything for granted and allow yourself to do experiments and to kind of understand or recognize that ultimately everything is an experiment. Um, at least if you're if you're okay with not trusting everybody else's answers. <laughs> Which is often easier said than done, I think. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm imagining, I wish I had like a professional artist who was working for Nothing Makes Perfect, but the I don't have a title for our current episode, but the image of it is definitely your face on the body of a rat in a lab coat with a backpack with a lumpy shape of clay that is not perfectly round, <laughs> climbing up a wall of some sort. 
<laughs> well, you know, there's there's AI programs that can do that for it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Sure. I can see the result. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to throw it out as a, a listener challenge. If anyone can create that image, I will share it on the internet. <laughs> All right. I will, I'll support that. <laughs> Thank you. So speaking of our other friends who aren't in this conversation right now, Hello, friend. Uh, I have a couple other questions from listeners and they'll take us over more into like the teaching and coaching side of things. Sure. So thing. you're no longer someone who works out. You're now someone who supports others in working out. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> um, also just while I am on the topic of people who aren't here, if you're listening, you can go to findmovement.com slash podcast and actually record your voice and be a part of a future episode, which I think is cool. But you can tell me, you can go onto the website and record a message saying, that's not cool, or asking a question or sharing an idea. And you can be a part of this too. That so, sounds awesome. Do uh, it. You can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> In case when you hear can I send a voice people, message to this episode? <laughs> say it again. Can I send a voice message to this episode? Dude, totally. Yeah. After we're done, you're like, oh man, I disagree with everything I said. You can just hop on the website and say something else. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Um, you're I'll the edit. only one who can do that though, because other people won't have heard it until it comes out. Okay. Wow. We've gone very meta here. Okay. So a couple more questions. I think I should go one at a time because they'll be really hard to combine. So another uh, former guildling from the Movement Guild asks, uh, sorry, to give credit, Kyle, our mutual friend Kyle, asks, Hi, Kyle. what experiences and or disciplines outside of fitness and movement have shaped your approach to work? Probably, probably music the most. Um, music and reading fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, reading fiction because, uh, to me, it's very important to not only feed information, but to create a, an atmosphere, a mood, um, that incentivizes learning that, that makes it easier to absorb information. Information by itself has very little value nowadays, um, because there's so much of it. And information feeds on, like everything else, something. And in our case, it feeds on our attention. And so um, learning from fiction, understanding how we can create stories or narratives or moods in order for that information to be more easily absorbed is very important to me. And it's something that I really enjoy just thinking about. Uh, it tugs on my heartstrings. Uh, music, because it has to resonate. I see every training program that I write as something that can be objectively good and objectively bad, but more so is uh, more important than that is the, the person's experience of that program. Does it resonate with them? Um, sometimes people want to dance salsa, but you can't put on a metal song, you know, even though the metal song might be the perfect thing for their goals. Um, you, you have to adjust certain things in order to make it uh, vibe to the rhythm of their current life, their current everyday life, and their current mood, and all of these things. So, yeah, music and fiction. Hmm. 
That's really interesting to me because when I saw Kyle's question, I, I, I like celebrated it in my head immediately because mm-hmm. I also take a lot of inspiration from uh, people and things outside of the movement world. And the first places my mind went for my own inspirations, I think, are psychologists and teachers mm. who are basically just better coaches <laughs> with all due respect <laughs> to us. Right? Like they've, uh, they've been honing their craft for longer, I think, as fields. And, mm. you know, they tend to be extremely skilled in interactions with other people. Like mm. they listen really well. They uh, speak really clearly and they understand what they're like, how to match the content of what they're presenting with the person in front of them. Mm. And so I tend to think of like the, the best coaches, which is actually foreshadowing for our next question. Um, <laughs> but I tend to think of like the best I can do as a coach is to take inspiration from psychologists and teachers. And now I'm wondering, I'm kind of adding to that list writers and even musicians. And it's something I haven't really thought about before, but I, I'm immediately drawn at least to the idea of writers, especially I'm like, Oh man, instead of hiring a trainer to write me a program, if I hired a fiction writer, like what an interesting experience that could be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's important. Um, I mean, the the artist's job is to convey as much as possible with as little as possible, in my opinion. You know, you you, you have, uh, you only have a short matter of time to tell a story. And some people are even so skilled that they're able to put a lifetimes, an entire lifetime into one song or, or one article or one book. I do, of course, respect other academics and other teachers and professors and all this type of stuff. But... I also think there's a case to be made that people don't have time for school uh, when they're also doing work <laughs> and they have their responsibilities. They have their Scottish Deerhound, they have their three cats, they have their kids, all of these things. And that's where we can learn a lot from art because it it enables us to tell a lot with while not using a whole lot, a lot of time telling the story. Um, which is becoming more and more important because of the current, you know, attention economy as well. It's not just that people don't have a lot of time. It's also that we have a hard time focusing during the time that's available to us. Hmm. I feel a little bit, well, I feel inspired first and then a little bit guilty second because (laughs) (laughs) we started with, you started with doing more with less and we kind of applied it to training, but now we've been going on and on and on and it's Mm. like well should this have been a beautiful eight minute conversation like could we have had the same impact well was it i think it was mark twain who said i would have loved to written you a shorter letter but i did not have the time (laughs) fair you know so like like being able to present something as succinctly as elegantly uh, and as quickly takes a whole lot of time and Hey, Jeremy, we've we've only used like an hour. That's Fair. not enough. <laughs> Fair. And maybe that's kind of our challenge to ourselves to go behind the scenes where we have most of our conversations and make, you know, the next course or invitation or whatever it is, a conversation about doing more with less and have it, you know, be something that we can invite other people into and not just talk about, but actually practice. Yeah. Yeah. 
That'd be fun. That'd be fun. So while that would be a very fitting note to end on, I won't. <laughs> I won't do it, John. Nice. <laughs> Instead, I must honor two more people who have uh, generously shared questions. I'll do the really short one first, and then we'll see where the longer one goes. Mm-hmm. Shelby, another former member of the Movement Guild, asks a question I'm very curious to hear the answer to. Will you be doing any in-person events this year? Hi, Shelby. Uh, I only have one thing planned, and that's an event in Bali that is currently sold out. It's a week-long intensive. Wow, really helpful. Thanks, John. (laughs) Sorry, keep going. (laughs) See, this is marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Announced it after it's filled up. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be teaching that with... uh, Joachim Hildersson and uh, Harry Williams. That's that's the only thing that I know of so far. Um, I have I've had a lot of really nice offers to do workshops a lot of different places, but I haven't been able to say yes to any yet because I I have so many projects whirring around in my mind uh, that I haven't been able to give it any attention yet. But when I know uh, more, I'll I'll let you know. Very fair. Um, I'll just slightly add on to that. You do have a new online offering available, your new squat course, Resting Squat 2.0. I only saw the early stages of it so far. I haven't seen the finished thing other than glimpses of what people are experiencing in it, but it looks awesome. And then I'll also add to that, um, you should come to the U.S. and do workshops I would happily attend or uh, co-offer it with you. And you should put aside all your other responsibilities that you mentioned. Hope, I guess, like, unfortunately, including taking care of living beings. So make sure Mm -hmm. they're squared away in some fashion. Okay. Okay, sure. I can do that. Good. good. Uh, Hey, I I would love to come to the U.S. soon. It's There's a whole lot of people that I haven't seen for a whole lot of time. And who I've never seen actually jeremy uh yeah i'm i know at least one of them yeah <laughs> hey the, the onus is on you you're the one who should move slash escape <laughs> well, <laughs> i do plan to come to norway to climb at some point oh you definitely should i don't know what the outdoor climbing is like there but just based on like three pictures i've seen of the country i imagine it's pretty cool it's pretty is that, cool. Is that yeah. too quick a judgment on my part? No, no. The climbing here is pretty good. Um, bouldering wise, like I'm not as familiar with the bouldering out, outdoor bouldering here in Norway, but like the 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 rope stuff, that's pretty impressive. Uh, shared drops all the way. Very dramatic scenery. And if you fall, you're going to fall into the gullet of a troll. So <laughs> you're going to die slowly. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, that sounds picturesque. <laughs> I don't yet know how to attach ropes to myself to climb things, so I'm going to have to learn that. Um, but maybe you can give me some guidance uh, after off air. Uh, I shouldn't, because I know very little about it myself. <laughs> but hey, I'll try. <laughs> okay, great. I'll get Udo back on here. <laughs> and have another. Um, okay, so let me get to this other conversation, which is really thoughtful and interesting. Um, and I'm kind of stumbling because I don't know how to present it, but I will do my best. 
I'll start by saying who it's from. Um, Aaron, Aaron Martin, who <laughs> has been on this podcast already, I believe episode six. If anyone mm-hmm. listening hasn't heard that one, it was super fun and interesting. We explored a lot of ideas in real time um, and they emerged from our conversation. I'll start with the end of his question, which is, LOL, feel free to include as little or as much of this as you'd like. Um, <laughs> so I will do that. Fair warning. All right. I'm going to skip the beginning of the question and start where it says, da, da, da. or to rephrase the question, as a student, what objective qualities should I look for in a teacher? Subjective qualities will always vary, Right. If I know myself to work hardest when I get yelled at and I really need that push for a new Olympic lifting PR, then I want a coach who does that for me. So the subjective qualities, while really important for a good teacher-student relationship, are not ones that have general validity. They won't apply to all teachers. And I have to know myself well to understand which teacher will fit. So now adding my own words... In that example, he understands what he needs to hit the Olympic lifting PR, so he finds a teacher or a coach who suits that. Back to Aaron. (laughs) But let's say I'm unsure about my training uh, personality because I don't have much experience in training. Maybe I grew up with little play or sport, and now I want to get into training. Are there certain general qualities I should look for that help me discern, wait for it, the helpful teacher from the charlatan? And I present that to you, John, to give a brilliant, insightful answer to an extremely tough question. Competency is invisible to those who do not have it yet. So, so I kind of feel like it, it's, it's unfair to say what sort of objective measurement we can use to discern a good coach from a bad coach, because you, you kind of have to. <laughs> you have to have a modicum of experience to, to understand the difference between the two. Um, I guess the best the best thing to do is to is to look for somebody who you trust who've who've received the services from this coach in the past and then get their recommendation. I mean I th- I think that's more objective than than how many clients they've had, how long they've worked, how much money they earn, how much time they've spent studying. Um because if you can't get your own experience, then it's perhaps the next best thing is to learn from somebody else's, except the person who wants your money. <laughs> yeah, that's a relief because my answer when I read the question was like, no, <laughs> it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. And that's kind of what you said is you basically said you can't label objective qualities because the subjective is what's important. So you can just kind of do your best with the subjective, which would be getting as close to the experience as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically. So maybe can we zoom out and give, um, maybe I can be nicer and ask the original question, which is, are there universal qualities that all great teachers have? So he went into a kind of a specific example and like problem that people have of who do I trust? How do I know what to trust? But just what what universal qualities do great teachers have? I think uh, one elementary quality is the ability to ask questions and to listen, to be attentive, and to not ask questions in an effort to elicit an emotional response. Um, this is, you know, a tactic used by a lot of a lot of coaches, life coaches, 
and uh, alternative medicine providers where they they actively ask questions in order to elicit emotions in in the person who's um, who who they're giving their offerings or their service, and that is you know generally very unfair thing to do. It's not something that you should do, in my opinion. Um, but if you're able to ask questions, if you're able to uh, not force emotions out of someone, but rather have them reflect on what they already know, then that's how both the person that you're talking to as a coach and you as a coach get the information that is necessary in order to create a good system, practice, program, approach. So that would be one. I think that's the most important one, to be honest. Hmm. The most universal one. Can you think of something else, Jeremy? I'm sure you can. Well, I'm tempted to push back a little bit on that one because mm -hmm. <laughs> I agree with it. It, Like we said, we both like questions earlier. But I'm picturing the person, uh, for instance, I have a, a current client I'm working with and she has a flexibility-related goal. Mm -hmm. And I've described a process, like a, a a little nugget of advice for flexibility work of practicing curiously. Mm -hmm. And so I tend towards questions and prompts and invitations and, you know, see what's there. And her preference is, I don't, I don't want to be curious. I don't want to reflect. I just want more flexibility than I currently have. Hmm. I want the answer. Yeah. And I respect that. And so we've we've navigated that by figuring out ways that, you know, we can balance structure and flexibility, right? How can I give her enough structure to work with without going past what I think is reflective of reality? Like I, I don't have the exact answer, but I can give you an answer that can be useful. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Mm -hmm. So thinking about, you know, people like my client who hear you talk about, um, reflecting on questions and that process of like a coach puts a question in front of you and then you go and sit with it in order to um, get at the information needed. What if someone just says, I don't want to reflect. That's, that's not the process I want to be in. I want to get stronger, climb harder grades, yeah. dance better. Well, I mean, that's a, that's an answer to the question. Mm. That's a different kind of answer. I mean, you, you did, you, you, you got the information that was necessary and maybe you would have gotten that information by not asking a question to begin with, but maybe you wouldn't have been aware of it, both as a coach, which makes you a better coach, understanding that people are different with different needs, and the client gets you know, an even, even clearer image of what they need for future coaching and for current coaching. So I kind of feel like that reaction or that answer was, you know, um, was helpful. Interesting. Yeah. I think we're back to objective and subjective, right? Mm -hmm. you, you got at what are the subjective qualities <laughs> that are appreciated by the individual um, mm -hmm. or that you can experience as the individual. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Thank you, Aaron. I am kind of left feeling like we've had a really nice conversation about you as a practitioner of movement as someone who trains and exercises and climbs things. Um, and maybe we'll have to have an entirely separate conversation <laughs> digging into coaching and teaching questions. Maybe so. Maybe so. 
Last thing before I do that, I rushed past your squat course and I only put it in my own words as someone who hasn't even experienced it. So <laughs> if you want, could you tell a bit about um, what the course is and who might benefit from it? Um, the course is an attempt uh, at mm, recontextualizing the resting squat, not as a position or a pose or a posture, but rather as a skill. So you know, the, the course is about learning how to move in and around the bottom position of a squat. Um, and, uh, speaking of trying to write shorter letters, <laughs> or to make something as succinct as possible, this is, uh, I don't think I've spent as much time making something as short as this. <laughs> totally. Um, and, and it's, it's my attempt at making a contribution to the current, uh, information culture. Just making something as as doable as possible without being uh, overly simplistic. So, um, if you do it, you're gonna probably do it. Like, I like that all the way through. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I can vouch for that part. I haven't taken the course myself yet, but um, I have been talking with you for months at this point about the course you're developing. On top of obviously the years of practice and coaching and all that but you really did put a lot of thought into like what not to include what to subtract in order to make it impactful yeah yeah it's uh it's the work that will never be seen uh yeah. <laughs> i'm glad that nobody will ever have to see it <laughs> <laughs> well said um if someone wants to follow up with you on anything that you've said here ask you a question follow along for more if you had to give one one place where people will enjoy hanging out with you, where would that be? Hopefully one-to-one conversations. So send me an email at john at unjohn.com if you, if you have any questions or if you want to just uh, talk a bit. I'd be happy to reply. Um, otherwise, there are lots of different areas of the internet that have the words or the letters Y-U-E-N-J-O-N where you can find me. Awesome. John, thank you. If I'm being totally honest, which I always am, I typically prefer our conversations even more when they're not recorded. <laughs> but this was a good one, even though it was recorded. Uh, always learn a lot from you. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>